You're listening to the Jesus and Politics Podcast by CCF at Western Washington University, where each week we'll be asking the question, how does our allegiance to Jesus impact our participation in politics? Welcome back to the Jesus and Politics Podcast. I'm Jeff, one of the campus pastors with the Western AS Club CCF. And this week, Jonathan and I are going to process this election with James and Rachel, who you heard from episode two. And we're going to do a couple things. Uh, We're going to just process what this election has been like for us, including the fact that our current president has initiated legal challenges to the results amidst claims of fraud and cheating. We're going to talk about what we learned from this election. And finally, as we've said many times before, loving your neighbor is not something we're called to do like once every four years. So what does it look like for us to live out the values we voted with all the time? Okay, let's talk. Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, Glad to process this election together with you all. James, how you doing, man? Hey, I am doing pretty well. It's been a long, it was a long week. I uh, watched a lot of news, waited for results to come in. And uh, so, I mean, I guess it's not over yet, but um, yeah, I guess we're one step closer to being over. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. We're going to get there one way or the other. Right on. Right on. We will. Rachel, you good? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It definitely has been uh, more stressful than I expected. I don't normally follow election night news, but I live with two super politically engaged roommates. So I heard the words, we just have to wait for all the votes to be counted more times than I ever thought I'd ever hear. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm I'm happy that in some ways that that's over. Um, I'm, I'm pretty frustrated, I think, that it wasn't as definitive as we were hoping. I think that's something we all wanted to happen. And I think the delay doesn't help um, matters much. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited that the the some of the craziness seems to be winding down. <laughs> yeah, some of the craziness. Some, some of it, yeah. It's just getting started. There we go. <laughs> Jonathan, it's always good to be with you. This has been so fun to do this podcast with you. How are you today? Oh, thank you. Doing this podcast is my favorite part of this election season. So, I'm glad we've been doing this. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, I'm so glad. This has been super fun. Okay, everyone, let's let's get to it. How are you each feeling about, let's just start right where we're at right now. How are you feeling about the state of the presidential election where we have a traditional president elect right now as of time of recording, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been uh, like, I guess, I don't know if you say officially or unofficially, but declared the president and vice president elect, but we're in a non-traditional series of accusations of fraud from our current president uh, that this was not a fair election. How are you all feeling about living in this reality right now? Let's have you go first, Jonathan. Okay. Uh, how am I feeling? Um, I, I think that, I mean, what I've done basically is just tried to look into it as best I can. It's hard to say how I feel. Like, that's usually how I process my feelings is by doing something. So I've tried to look into it as best I can. I've looked at some of the court responses to some of the legal challenges that the president's brought. And I mean, how I honestly feel and what I see is that there just hasn't been any real evidence of fraud or anything brought at this point. 
I do think, you know, if the president has evidence of fraud, he and his team should bring it, but I haven't seen that. Um, can I say like two things that I think should be off limits for Christians at this point? Would that be okay to say that here? I think it's okay. fine. We can always edit it out if it doesn't <laughs> okay. work well. I, I think, I don't think this should be super controversial, but I think lying should be off limits for Christians at this point. And that means like, I've seen people posting things on social media that are just simply not true. And mm. I, I know a little bit about how voting counts work. And some of the stuff I've seen is just really obviously false to me. And I'm, you know, it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have doubts about the process. That's totally fine. But I do think the Bible is really clear that we should not lie. So no posting things that aren't true. And, and I'm sure many people don't realize the things that they're posting aren't true, but, but lies are still dangerous, even if you spread them by accident. So, so don't post anything unless you know for sure that it's true. That would be one rule I would have for us. And then secondly, Jonathan, yes. Jonathan, before you before you continue, that's the most controversial thing I've ever heard you okay. say that Christians should not knowingly lie. Okay. I, I, I just think I mean, that's definitely getting cut. You're that's gone. Fine. Fine. OK, well, get ready for this. What's the one? second thing. Uh, don't be don't be unkind to election workers. And unkindness is probably like a mild word here because some election workers are actually getting death threats about this stuff, like people calling and saying, I'm going to I'm going to shoot you up. I, this is why the Second Amendment exists. I'm going to shoot somebody because you're you're counting votes to make sure democracy works. That's just not OK. I, it's just horrifying to me. And uh, I the people who yeah. are counting the votes are working so hard to make sure that our system works. I've thought about signing up to do that in the past to volunteer with vote counting. It's super important. So it's just kind of horrified me to hear that sort of thing. And I think Christians should stand up against that stuff really clearly. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Rachel, uh, what are some things that, that you think would help us navigate this this tenuous situation right now? Yeah, well, I I totally agree. It, I guess? Oh, yeah. I Well, I'd say, I to first off, I totally agree um, with the two highly controversial statements that Christians should not lie <laughs> and should be kind. Um, I think I'm feeling, uh, I think just frustrated is probably the man word. I, I, I don't think I feel uh, incredibly anxious. I, I have a sense that I know that calling for recounts isn't in and of itself unusual, but in this case, I'd be pretty shocked if it led to a different outcome than the one we have. Um, so I think I'm just frustrated because I think in the delay, there's been room for yet more just sort of heightened acrimony from both sides, I think, against each other. Um, and I just would really very much like that to not be continuing. So that's that's very frustrating to me, I think. That's how I'm feeling about it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you for steering clear of the, of the controversy that Jonathan <laughs> kicked up for us in his previous answer. <laughs> James, what do you think, man? What's this been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been chaotic you know I, I think uh, you know one one thing I realized as we were going through as I was just watching is we were we were seeing some of the effects of this pandemic that we're in I mean a record number of votes the highest number of votes for the presidential election ever um, and yeah. the most number of mail-in ballots ever and 
I think I, I think people got out and voted probably more more so than normal because they're at home. They're sitting sitting at home and and uh, you know a lot of people don't want to go out to the polls, so they mailed it in. And I think what's so what's been so interesting as I've thought about the story as it unfolds is how different would the story have sounded or felt had the mail-in ballots just been counted first. You know, I mean, uh, there are some laws yeah, against true. against opening ballots uh, before election day, which makes sense to me. I can understand that, um, but because of this record number. Of, of ballots that came in that way, you know, it, it, it just reminded me of that uh, for the Seahawks fans out there as uh, DK Metcalf just like unhumanly <laughs> ran down Buda Baker and caught him. Just it just seemed like, wait, this is there's no way that's going to happen. And and so but if if uh, if things had been counted differently uh, or like if the mail in ballots had been counted first, it wouldn't have felt this the same narrative wouldn't have made as much sense and so yeah. you know i think i'm glad that we have courts we ought to be praying for our judges right now um, because they're in a really if the if the uh those counting the, the votes are getting death threats then i think these judges are going to be in a really uh significant uh they're just going to be right in the middle of uh something significant so we should pray for them but i am thankful that we live in a country where you can if you feel like you've been wrong you can litigate it and so I, I just hope and pray that as the judges look look at what is true about these scenarios, that we will trust the people we've put in those places to help us know what is true. Um, I think some of my fears are that um, if we find out there hasn't there wasn't significant fraud in this election changing fraud, then uh, I've just I'm just worried that people aren't going to aren't going to believe it or leave that narrative so i think I, I think i'm doing yeah i'm doing all right i think it's it's uh i'm a little I'm a little nervous about uh people actually believing the outcome which is really unfortunate if that happens yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i think going forward for for the rest of this podcast i think it'll be most helpful if we operate with the assumption that Joe Biden will be our next president and Kamala Harris will be our next vice president, that, that seems to be, like you said, Rachel, that seems to be the most likely outcome. So part of this podcast, is we're going to start asking longer term questions. So we'll assume that's that's probably what will happen. But continuing on with this election and, and again, the presidential election was especially wild. But we'll talk about the referendum that was that was passed, all those kinds of things, too. Um, but it was it was it was bizarre and new and different for all the reasons that you talked about, James. But what are some things that as you as we tracked with this as this election, especially the presidential one going down, what were some things that you learned or, or that were surprising to you about uh, this this that you learned from this election? Well, I definitely learned that I think reporting on elections is one of the most thankless tasks there's got to be in the world. Um, that's got to be hard. And I, I feel like, again, this was quite quite in, an interesting election to be my very first one actually hearing like the news reporting it as it was happening, um, as election night sort of turned into election week. Uh, <laughs> and so it's it interesting to be my first experience with that. Um, 
And I, so that, that in some ways was something I, I learned like, oh, this is, this is very interesting. This has got to be something very difficult to, to be, to maintain journalistic integrity uh, and yet to, to sort of report as things are happening when we don't know the outcomes. Um, and then at the same time, you have all these, you know, different voices that are not journalists who are making much you know, much more bold claims or less bold claims about what, how things are going to go down. Um, so that was, that was an interesting experience for me. Um, but at the same time, I think what was most surprising to me, uh, I, I'm, I'm always sad, but I'm not surprised when I see division and anger over these issues. Mm-hmm. But I was really surprised and encouraged by how many times I heard stories, particularly of our students, praying together for our nation, students who voted for different candidates, but um, were having conversations and were um, making these brave movements toward unity together. That really, I I don't know that I actually expected that. And that was a a really refreshing surprise for me to see. One of the things that I I feel like I learned uh, in this election season was, uh, I think that there's been this narrative, this narrative that we could never test until now that higher voter turnout equals more votes for the Democratic candidate. That was just a given. Like everyone just assumed like, oh yeah, more, the more minority folks who vote, the more like general population who votes, the more of those, that means that the Democrats get more more uh, votes. And, and all those numbers were up in this election and that's not how it went down. I mean, granted the Democratic ticket, you know, is the, is the presumptive, you know, president, president elect, vice president elect, but not by the margins of everybody who turned out who was new leaned Democrat. And what that tells me is, right. in a very real way, our, our country is maybe not like divided in ugly ways, but we actually think pretty differently, like across the board. Like, so the more people who turn out, all it did was show like, yeah, we're, we're kind of a 51, 49, 52, 48 split this four year cycle. Who knows what the next four year cycle will be. My hope is that that means that future presidential candidates will will work very hard to reach across the aisle that will realize I need to convince people who disagree with yeah. me better in order to get a bigger majority of, of, of American opinion that I, that my leadership is the best one going forward. Um, and so I just think that w- that was fascinating to me. I, I never expected that. And it was it was really interesting to to see that those results as they came pouring in. Jonathan, what was interesting for you? Yeah, I had a similar thought. I, I think I realized um, a lot of us are sort of pretending that half the country doesn't exist on both sides. And we kind of are stuck sure. in our bubbles. Yeah. We're deeply emotionally invested in these divisions. And we just can't keep living like that. It, it reveals to us that uh, half the country does not agree with however you voted, approximately. And so we're going to have to work yeah. to understand yeah. each other. And I hope that, that we'll do that. Cool. I also learned personally some good rules like rhythms for myself i i like politics i think it's interesting and important but i found i had to make some healthy rhythms for my life this whole election season like limiting my time on social media Uh, my wife and i had a no politics after 9 p.m rule (laughs) in our house like we couldn't mention anything political after 9 p.m and all that was just really helpful and i'm like probably going to keep that stuff up for the long term so thankful yeah for that. you definitely should have called me and shared that with me a week ago 
I have been up way too late Sorry. and up way too early in the morning and on my phone way too often <laughs> and talking way too much with Jessica about these politics. <laughs> I, I I might I might need to start that now just to recover. True. <laughs> a politics cleanse. Like right on. Yeah, exactly. A politics cleanse. Oh boy. James, what what's something you've learned? An insight you've gained from this experience? I man, there is there is so much I learned in this process. It's been really fascinating. Um, uh, I think one that stands out the most is that, at least in some areas, you find out that minority votes, minorities don't all vote the same. I mean, that's like should be a given. Humans are humans, you know, people have different thoughts and opinions. The Latino vote, you know, people thought it was going to go one way in Florida and it went the very opposite way. And people thought that, you know, Latinos in Arizona were going to do one thing and they find out like, wait a second, there's not one big Latino voting block who all think the same thing. Oh, that's really baffling. Um, so I, I found that to be exactly. true. Um, in, in different, you know, uh, different locations for uh, the black community as well. Um, and anyways, that was just fascinating to kind of watch those things come out um, as they did. There were some shockers in there for people like, wait, what? This is, uh, this is surprising. Um, uh, another thing is that I thought it was really fascinating that, that, um, so apparently, uh, President-elect Biden uh, got more votes in general um, than than uh, President Trump did, um, and so you you know the Democrats were expecting this like this huge wave of uh, the blue wave to come in. All the you know all the Democrats were going to win down ticket, but what's really interesting is that that's not what happened, and. That tells a really interesting story as well, that there are people who there, there must be many people out there who voted Republican for the Senate and for the House, but then voted uh, Democratic for the president. And that's a really interesting thing that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that we can say that people were voting against the Republican Party, but they maybe have been voting against a republic the 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 current republican president um and so that was just a really fascinating thing and then lastly i would i, I listened to news I, I think i would describe my experience kind of like jeff's i probably should have you know been discipled <laughs> by jonathan a little earlier but i was watching news and listening to news um from all different sides and i've always known this to be true but when you're like experiencing it firsthand for many hours i was watching fox news I was watching CNN, I was listening to NPR, I was reading articles on BBC, and there are some significant differences in the narrative of how the news anchors were presenting what was happening. And to the point where I think some of these folks, we, we might need to call this more entertainment than news because I don't know that I could say like if, if if this person says this thing and this person says this thing and they're opposite, those the way that you spun this story is not true on one of these sides. And so, um, if we only are listening to one 
type of or one news station, we're, we're, we might not be getting the whole narrative or the or uh, we might be listening to a narrative that's just not skewed in a truthful way. And so I think we just need to be that was something I was like, whoa, I, you know, I need I need to be careful about about this. Yeah, that's clutch. I, yeah, that's that's really true. And I, it was interesting to talk to people who were only watching one of those yeah, channels. Yep. I could tell from our conversations like, oh, you're only watching this channel. And uh, I personally, I'm going to just give props to the ABC News Desk. I appreciate how they had like Chris Christie on yep. there and then a, and then a Democratic um, Party organizer and then a Republican Party organizer. And they would cut to them and say, you know, what are you hearing? What do you think? That was that of, of the channels that I was surfing. And I could be wrong. Maybe it'll change. But of the channels I was surfing, that was the one that I was like, OK, I feel like I'm getting the most diverse ideological input from that news desk i'm gonna i'm gonna plant here for a little while and i'll make little forays into the, the other ones that are further down the political spectrum so that was pretty helpful um i want to return for our next question i want to return to a question we asked in episode two and james and rachel we asked you this question so jonathan you and i should probably weigh in on this one uh but and we'll ask james and rachel as well but with the likelihood now that, that joe biden and kamala harris will be our next president and vice president uh, what are some things that excite you about that? And what are some things that make you nervous about that? Maybe we'll just do one thing. So Jonathan, what's something that excites you about this, the president and vice president elect, and one thing that makes you nervous about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick one for each. So um, they're both fairly personal for me, but I, um, on the excited side, I have friends who are refugees. Uh, I've known CCF students who are refugees or their parents were. I have close friends that have worked overseas with refugees, locally with refugees in Seattle area. I love refugees. They're a big part of my life. Um, and oh, and Jesus and his parents were refugees in Egypt. And so um, that's important to me. And so truthfully, you know, the last four years have been really terrible for refugees mm. uh, because of the policies of our country. And people, ha there have been drastic cuts to the number that we've allowed into our country. People who are here have been denied refugee status, deported back to their country, been put in terrible danger. People have lost their lives over mm -hmm. these policies. And um, Joe Biden has stated that he will reassert America's commitment to asylum seekers and refugees. And I'm excited to try and hold him to that. Um, I'm excited about the possibility that more refugees could, could be given a safe place to live here, that they'll enrich our country. Um, that's just for me personally huge because of my my own personal connections to refugees right and been praying that those policies would change yeah. for a long time. So I'm excited about that's that. Cool. Um, on the nervous side, I one of my real wishes is that the Democratic Party would take a hard look at their stance on abortion. I think they have an extreme view in their party platform. It keeps a lot of people of faith from voting for their candidate or for running for office as a Democrat. And I haven't seen Biden make a lot of room for people who have different views on abortion to be part of his administration or his party. And that's disappointing to me. And there are other Democrats who have demonstrated more of that kind of openness. And so that's something I wished for from Biden, but haven't seen. So that's something that makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think w so. I, those are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Jonathan. I know for me, uh, one of the things I'm really excited about, and this is probably the, the easiest you know, softball answer, but the fact that we have a woman of color as a vice president for the first time in our history. I appreciate how Joe Biden in his, in his speech said this is long overdue. Uh, it really does feel long overdue. 
but it was so cool to watch my daughter watch a woman speak as the vice president of the United States of America and to just have another statement that I, you know, that this is, this could be you, Maya, this could be you someday. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it's unlikely that my daughter will be president, but who knows? Maybe this podcast will be replayed in however many years and Maya will say, ha, take that dad. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but it was just cool to see a woman of color in that role and with that kind of power. And that's exciting. Um, one of the things that makes me nervous is I've been tracking a lot with and, and researching and learning a lot about um, the, the benefits that uh, President Trump's um, policies uh, played, particularly in the African-American community. Um, uh, HBCUs, which are historically black colleges and universities, have had better funding under Donald Trump's presidency than any presidency so far um, before the before covid. Uh, and I'm still researching these numbers. I think this is correct. But before COVID, um, African-American employment rates were higher than they had been. And also the average income uh, was higher than it had been. And so I, I'm, I'm nervous that um, certain economic policies might screw the lid down on some of those advancements for uh, that demographic in our country. And I'm hoping that's not the case. But, but uh, um, a lot of sort of like, in a sense, hands-free government um, affects those kinds of employment opportunities. And I'm hoping that the uh, Biden Kamala uh, leadership team will push that forward, but I'm just not sure if that's if that's how it'll go. James, uh, you can return to the answers you said in episode two, or you can share some some other ones. What's one thing that excites you, and one thing that makes you nervous about this uh, this election? Yeah, I mean, probably the same. One of the same things that you said. I mean, I was sitting with uh, with with both of my daughters actually as as the kind of the news was was unfolding, and they were really locked into like all right do we do we know yet who's gonna be the president do we know and um yeah as we watched uh kamala uh her speech uh it it was you know we had a conversation with our kids that hey our family you know a number of years ago nobody in our family could vote i mean you're all you're, you're you're all women and you're all you all are black and um and so, you know, we celebrate the reality that we can all vote. Um, and so to see, I think, again, to see a woman of color in that, in that place uh, for my uh, mixed race children was uh, a really, really special, a really special thing. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and, um, you know, the, I, think, I think the things I'm, I'm nervous about um, probably, probably more have to do with the state of our, uh, hu- like our relationships with one another, uh, with people that we disagree with. Um, you know, I just I feel like uh, really, really, really curious to see what's going to happen in Georgia with those two, uh, uh, with the two uh, Senate. Is that right? Senate seats. Um, they've got the runoff in January, and you know that's going to depict. That's going to really dictate who has the majority in the. Uh, House and the Senate, and I'm I'm a little nervous for both realities. Uh, if if the the Democrats uh, get can gain control of the majority in the Senate, uh, you know I'm a little worried about the just the battering ram effect. You know we can do whatever we want. We'll push all these policies through at a, um, and I'm also a little a little nervous about the other reality as well. So I think it's it's just I I, I hope, um, and maybe I'm nervous about this. Um, can uh, Biden? You know, it's not it's not just on him, but um, are we going to be able to actually work together? Uh, 
in our government and you know I'm not I'm just not sure I'm really I'm nervous about that and uh, how about you Rachel what are some things I mean knowing what we know now the likelihood of, of going forward what are some things that excite you or one thing that excites you and and one thing that makes you nervous yeah I'm excited to um, have a president-elect who seems to want to use his voice in a less divisive way <laughs> um, he seems desirous of bringing people together, at least in terms of like his public speeches and the kinds of things he puts out there for people to listen to. I know that's not the entire job of a president, but it is reassuring, I think. Um, when you when I listened to his speech, it just seemed like a bit of a refreshing change from a lot of the things that have been said by um, President Trump the last four years. Um, so that's that's exciting to me. Uh, I'm uh, with Jonathan. I think I'm concerned about uh, a potential push in the area of pro-choice legislation. Um, I think Joe Biden ran on a fairly moderate platform, which kind of makes sense for him to have the best chance of winning. But I don't know how much of that reflects what he and Kamala Harris actually hope to accomplish in their tenure. And so I think those are things that make me nervous. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I share those similar, similar nerves. Okay, let's, let's make a shift from the, the presidential election drama. Because uh, as we talked about in a couple episodes ago, there's, there's more than just the president on the ballot. Let's talk about the one referendum that was on the ballot in Washington State, referendum 90. And it passed with almost a 60% majority. So age-appropriate sexual education will be required in all Washington school districts. Um, talk to me about one thing that excites you about that or, and something that makes you nervous about that. And maybe, you know, excited, nervous, I don't know what other words we could use for that, but um, talk to me about uh, how that makes you feel. I mean, James, you and I and, and Jonathan, we're all parents. And Rachel, you don't have any children, but you're invested in the well-being of kids in the public school system. Like, you care about these things. You, you, can, you can care about these things without having any kids. So... Talk to me about how you guys feel about that. James, what's it like for you that this referendum has passed? You know, one thing that is exciting, I mean, I, I, I know that there are school districts out there that don't actually have adequate sex education. And I think that that is detrimental. I think there are some parents who do a great job talking with their kids. And so their kids have a, an adequate age-appropriate understanding and I mean many of the college students that that I have worked with have said that the lack of information that they got growing up led them to go pursue greater understanding which led to some some places that I think they hoped that they had never experienced themselves and so I, I, I do I'm excited for that that reality um, you know, I'm nervous. I, it doesn't, you know, when you're when people are voting on that, I don't know that the the information was as clear as it should have been. Like, where is this curriculum? Uh, you know, I know there's we're voting for some different standards, but there's there's uh, at least uh, some of the conversation out there is that 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 uh, you're going to be teaching kids things that they ought not to be talking about um, at that age. And so I think most of it just comes from, I'm not sure if I'm 
if I think it's negative, I think it's negative not to have the information, um, not to be totally clear what these curriculum are and what in all the different areas. Um, but it might not be negative, I guess, if I if I could get a hold of that curriculum easily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Rachel, what's this like for you? Yeah, I agree with uh, James. I think, I mean, I, I'm glad that kids will will get sex education. I think they need it for all sorts of good health and developmental reasons. And I'm glad there won't be as many kids who, for whatever reason, aren't taught about things they really need to know because it's a taboo subject in their home or something. Um, so I think those are all good things. I think age appropriate is a highly, highly subjective term. And as you mentioned earlier, one of the things we know about from this election is that our nation is pretty sharply divided on a lot of ideological issues and sex education actually taps into a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's concerning to me. Uh, I was homeschooled, all my siblings were homeschooled and part of the reason my parents felt they needed to do that was to have control as a parent over some of those things that we were learning. Um, And so I wonder about parents, how much ability will they have to navigate these things with their kids? If they disagree about what is age appropriate, um, will their voices be valued? And if they're not valued, have they lost a legal recourse to protect their kids or to, to make their voices be heard? I think those are all big concerns that I have. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the things that makes me nervous, too. Um, I think that what I, what I get nervous about the referendum passing is uh, it seems like a majority of input and guidance will now be coming from Olympia, our state capital, rather than the school districts where the, the curriculum is being taught. I know there's a difference between setting an expectation and setting curriculum, so I'm hopeful that setting curriculum will still be an invitation for parent input and that kind of thing. We had an experience in our in our elementary school where there were some conversations happening about gender identity that were very well intentioned by the the the, the sort of the, the school administration and librarian, but just kind of were, were fumbled a little bit because parents didn't have a heads up that this was coming. And we're very open to those conversations. We have those kinds of conversations with our kids. Um, but there was a, a real sense of like, whoa, like, like can we have more dialogue about when and how and that kind of thing and we we emailed our superintendent very graciously and said hey we really appreciate what you're trying to do for all kids in Bellingham who are in the public school and could, could, could maybe we have a conversation that would go this way so the parents are better informed and can see some of the resources and our superintendent emailed us back and he was like oh that's a great idea thank you so much for engaging well I'll send out an orientation email so that you can see what our approach is and it was just this very like gracious local conversation that I think was really healthy and I get nervous that that won't be the case now that things are kind of headquartered in Olympia that if we were to raise any similar questions or concerns that it would be well sorry Olympia said we have to you know etc etc so that makes me nervous what I'm excited about about the referendum passing is I do think that this will has a good chance of reducing the number of child sexual assaults because I think that kids are going to hear more universally this kind of touching is not okay if an adult does this to you, make sure you yell and say, get away from me, don't touch me there, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of really specific, helpful training that kids really need. I think that will protect kids from, you know, a lot of kids when they when they share, and I'm really sorry if this is triggering for anyone, I won't go into details, but the sense of, like, I didn't know it was wrong until I was older and realized, oh, that adult shouldn't have done that to me. 
And I want that to change. And I'm excited about mm. the possibility of this refer referendum changing that side of the narrative too. Jonathan, how about you? How's this? How do you feel about this as a parent with kids in the public school? Yeah, I don't have a lot to add. I'm sort of with all of you, but I, I've really been pleased and thankful for what I've seen in my daughter's public school. Um, her teachers have been wonderful. Everything has been really well done. Um, she's, she's really young, so age appropriate has been mostly those sorts of things uh, that you're mentioning, Jeff, like um, just, just really, really great and really helpful. And um, I'm glad that other kids will hear it too. It's the kind of stuff she would hear from, from me and, and my wife, but other kids don't. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, I've, I've seen it done really well. I also have some really close friends who are public school teachers and they've seen really positive results from the current sex ed situation in Bellingham, which is comparable to what could be happening around the state now. So, so uh, that was reassuring for me. Um, my nervousness is similar to yours. You know, if there are things that are going to be controversial and personal like sex is, I'd really rather keep those conversations as close to the actual situation as possible. And so I don't, necessarily love the statewide aspect of it and nervous about if I have something arise that I disagree with being shuffled up the line or local people saying they can't change anything um, but I don't know if that will happen so I'm, I'm not losing sleep over it we'll just have to wait and see my my teacher friends just told me be sure to have a conversation with all your kids teachers from here on out about this and so I will there do that. that's really helpful you guys thanks for that um, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk about how the values and principles that we've talked about in all of the episodes of this podcast should apply to how we live all the time, not just once every four years. So we'll talk to you soon. Welcome back. Jonathan, uh, you and I said over and over again that loving your neighbor is a way we're supposed to live all the time as followers of Jesus. Uh, and James and Rachel, I know you both to be people who shape your lives around what it means to love God and love your neighbor. Um, so when you think about encouraging Christians to live like, quote unquote, politically in their daily lives, what are some ways that that's true in your own life? Uh, what are some ways you hope our students will live? What are some ways you hope that our, that our neighborhoods and our city will live? What are some things that we can do to love our neighbors in this in sort of a, a, this political, politically minded way? Sure. One of the one of the things I really hope that our students will carry into their lives is a principle of generosity. I I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, I tend to lean conservative, especially fiscally. And conservatives like me have this argument where we say, you know, don't tax me so much so I can be more generous with my money. Um, and if we're going to use that argument, I really feel like we need to live that out. So if I really think a society with a smaller and less controlling government is better for everyone, then I need to take personal action to care for more vulnerable populations. So um, I feel like giving is really important, not just to church, although I think that's great, and not to missionaries, although obviously I think that's really important too, um, but to nonprofits and to um, organizations that care for people who are at risk. Um, so if I don't want the government to do it, then I should probably be involved uh, and be involved significantly. So um, I think an example of that in our in here in Bellingham is the Lighthouse Mission, which I feel like um, is a pretty awesome organization and isn't just a homeless shelter, but also has programs to help people leave homelessness. One of our former CCF interns, who's a friend of mine, actually works there, and I just admire her so much. She's 
probably one of the most passionate people um, for these communities of people that are often overlooked. Um, so I think that being involved in places like that and being generous to, to um, groups like that is something I hope that our students will carry into their lives. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, it should go, uh, it should not go unsaid that all four of us on this podcast are supported missionaries. So if you'd like to join one of our support <laughs> teams, just drop us a line in the, ch in the comments below <laughs> on our podcast and we'll make sure to get in touch with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. James, what's what's a way that you hope people will live politically long term or maybe a way in your own life that you like? This is a way that I've tried to like live out my politics in my day to day, not just every four years in a presidential election. Yeah, I think politics have to do with uh, us, uh, I guess, like voting for or living for what we think is good for society. Um, oftentimes for us, it's like, what do I think is best for myself and my family um, or my communities that I'm a part of? Um, and what we've seen, as was said earlier, is that our nation is divided in, in that we think differently. And so uh, to live politically, in my mind, to love our neighbors, I think we need to seek to know our neighbors. We need to seek to know people that are different than ourselves. Um, people who live in cities need to need to be in contact with people who live in rural areas because they just think very differently. They have different challenges that they're thinking through and, and the things that, that would be rolled out in a city if they're rolled out in the county, it just feels very different. And so I think we need to fight um, to know people who are different than us. And I think that's very hard for us to do. Um, and so I, I think, you know, watching varied news outlets, listening, reading varied news outlets, I mean, that's, that's kind of helpful. But I think knowing human beings that think very differently than you is really key. So I, I, would, I would hope for myself and for our students that we would, um, that we would, not just look for, uh, not just like, uh, you know, if I happen to talk to somebody who's different than me, but actually pursuing relationship with people who are different than me. So that would be one of the main, the main hopes that I have for myself and for our students. Um, and that, and if we know people and we, and we even ask questions about, hey, this is really important to me. What do you think about this? We can have conversations and we can actually like, Sometimes we're, what I'm seeing is we're, we, f we fight or argue, but without have actually having considered the other person's perspective. And so I think that's a big part of living out the kingdom is seeking to understand this, this human being that God created who has a valid experience in their life. That's great. Thanks, James. Yeah, I know for, for me and my wife, Jessica, uh, the questions around abortion are really important to us as I've heard different, different ones of you mentioned in, in previous podcasts and personal conversations that we've had as well. We both believe that a human life begins, begins at conception as best as we can tell but we also know that the biological realities of childbirth are exclusively experienced by women even if men experience relational and emotional realities as well. So we recognize the complexities between oversimplified terms or sides like pro-life and pro-choice 
Um, and so while well, I recognize the tension and I, my, my, my Christian um, values around life and protecting innocence and all that kind of thing, while they, they lean towards a, a vote that might go towards a pro-life candidate, or they have in the past, um, I realized I wasn't really doing anything, anything about it in, our daily, in my daily life. I was just tr- voting for a president who claimed to be pro-life without even looking at what, what effect his policies or leadership would have on that issue anyway. So, so basically, I found that the only time I, I, I ever did anything about it, or Jessica ever did anything about it, was every four years. So when Jessica was pregnant with our first child, with our son Owen, uh, we actually started volunteering with a nonprofit here in town called the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. Um, they do an incredible job of caring for women before and during and after pregnancies. Uh, they're committed to education. They're committed to informing women of all their options when they get pregnant. Uh, they're incredibly pro-women, pro-children, and pro-family. And they even have resources for men who are trying to figure out how to support their partner's choices. So that was one way that Jess and I started to try to live that out uh, as our values. And I would, I'd be really excited if students in our community who feel strongly about pro-life and pro-choice issues and the, and the complexities around that, that, that challenge in our culture, I'd be really excited if, if students would get involved with this great nonprofit or at least look into it and, uh, and maybe intern with them and volunteer with them. They're just a, a great organization. I'd love to see our students get excited about. Jonathan, what are some things that have helped you live uh, politically day to day or some things you hope to see in our community, in our city, that kind of thing? Yeah, I just agree with all of you. I would say giving financially money makes a real difference in people's lives. Um, and you can do that every day, <laughs> not just every four years. Having those conversations is really important. Um, it's And it's even okay to try to persuade people to think differently with gentleness and respect. Like we can try to persuade people to who are, and that, that that's, a, that's totally fine and good for us and healthy for us to do. I myself have been persuaded to think differently by many people on many issues. Um, I and and then working locally, especially if either your candidate lost or you, you know the issues that that drove your vote are not going to be promoted, or if you know your candidate won but it's something that you disagree with your candidate about. If you can think about what are those issues that drove your vote then locally is where change happens. I just really affirm you, Jeff, for doing that. I have a similar experience. You know, I talked about my, my love for refugees and God's love for refugees. I'm a huge fan of World Relief. They're a Christian refugee resettlement organization. They do amazing work. I've had friends that work there, friends from my time at Western that have worked there. Um, I've supported them financially. They have an Amazon wish list so you can buy things for new refugee families and just and I've just put that on my birthday and Christmas list. Like, why don't you buy something for a refugee instead of for me? Um, and, you know, for the last four years, there wasn't anything I could do to change national policy on refugees, but I could make life better for some refugees here in Washington. So I've done that to the best of my ability. I would want to encourage students to do that about the issues that you care about, um, make a difference in somebody's life. And also, I've tried to use my voice to talk about refugees in a way that people might feel not scared of them and have compassion for the things they've endured so having those conversations i just yeah so if if there's an issue that you really care about just ask me i bet i could easily come up with something you could do um just a small thing um that could make a difference so just let me know absolutely um i I had a great a great conversation with a with a, a freshman in our ministry this year uh shout out to katie if you're listening to this podcast you know who you are but one of the things that she talked about was her political views 
valuing children, valuing uh, from, from her perspective, there's a, she, she, she leans very strongly pro-life, and she said, what could I do to help protect children in our society? And her heart has just grown for the foster system. And, and so she has come to Western to major in human services so that she can participate in, the, in helping reform the foster care system to, to do an even better job of caring for kids who are in the worst of situations. Um, she is excited to volunteer with a local ministry, another shout out for a local ministry you can get involved in called Skookum Kids. And they provide services for foster kids and foster families. They're an incredible organization. Um, so for any of our students who are excited about helping out kids in that way, that would be another great place to direct folks to. So again, I really hope that, that all of our, of, our, of our students who are listening to this, that you would think like, what does it mean for me to think and act politically every year, every month, not just every four years when kind of politics gets hot. Um, and so we've, rec we've, we've mentioned some really great organizations here and some, I think some really great, just practical practices to do. Um, so I hope that's pretty helpful for everybody. Um, I wanna close and as we think about the next four years of politics, what is something that you're praying for, for our community in particular? We're, we're, we're all four of us are campus pastors with, with CCF, Campus Christian Fellowship, and maybe there's some folks from other communities who are listening to this podcast. That's great. We probably would, would wish these good things on, on, on these other communities as well. But when it comes to our community of CCF, what is something that you are praying for um, going forward for each of our uh, for, for each of you to, to think about? Rachel, what's one thing that you're praying for for our community? I think one thing I'm really praying for is uh, exactly what James mentioned earlier. I think I've just been praying against siloing, which is even harder, I think, now than it would have been in the past with um, COVID and lockdowns. And it's harder to go places. It's harder to meet new people that you don't already know. Um, and so just praying for willingness to listen to voices that are outside of our own experience or context. Um, I think that's something that I've been praying about a lot. Yeah. How about you, James? What's something you're praying for for our community? I am praying uh, that we, I mean, it ties into to what Rachel's saying and what I said before, but I, I want to say it like this. I'm, I'm just praying against cancel culture, um, that we would mm. just like write off people who think differently than ourselves. And I've just experienced that um, in the church, even in the last, you know, nine months or so. Um, hey, this person thinks this, and you can just unfriend me. I'm out of here. Like, um, and that's just not. I'm I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't cancel us, although he had every right to do that. Mm. Um, and I, I I'm praying that we will be like him in this way that we would value each other's humanity, and um, even if we disagree, that we wouldn't demonize. So I'm I'm praying. I think we're in a the, the, the times are, are tricky for us to navigate these things and the inputs that we're getting don't necessarily encourage us to live this way. But I'm praying that, that the Spirit of God would move our hearts to look more like Jesus uh, and to love one another in these ways. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, amen to that. Jonathan, what are you praying for, brother? I, for our students, I'm praying for hope and perseverance. I, I have been really impressed with all the students that I've had conversations with. All of you are just 
doing such a good job listening, empathizing, caring for each other, all the things we've talked about, being, being the family of God together. I've been so impressed by you. But because politics, I think it just feels so toxic, I am concerned that young people will disengage and say, I'm just, I'm just out. I don't want to be involved in this. And if we do that, I fear that we'll abandon a, a real crucial chance to love our neighbors through political involvement. I think political involvement can change people's lives for the better if we see it that way. And so my prayer is that students won't give in to becoming too apathetic or too cynical about these things. I, I pray that politics will become a way to love our neighbors as ourselves and that we won't mm. give up when it's hard to do that yeah. in our culture. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, that, amen. I know for me, one of the things that I'm praying for among the, I mean, these, these guys have stacked up my prayer list for sure, but um, there, uh, in our ministry, uh, Cameron Harris preached a sermon uh, a week ago, and so you can go to our website, ccfministry.com, and find the sermon audio that Cameron preached on unity. And um, I think that there's an experience of disunity uh, that, that, that can happen within the church where what makes us different, our values, our opinions, uh, our, our, some of our convictions that that actually causes us to divide and to splinter and to, to, to be disunified and, and the scripture is really opposed to that. There's also a sense of false unity where we pretend the things that divide us and that we disagree on aren't real or we just don't talk about them or there's this whole list of things we just never mention uh, that we're hurting about or have strong feelings about or and, and that's, that's false unity. That's not real. I think the church has operated that way in a lot of issues where we just kind of pretend like, well, no, we're Christians. We all just get along. We don't talk about the things that could cause trouble. Um, and that, I think that's false unity. It's fake. Um, my prayer is for true unity, which is the unity that we see in Scripture, where people who are very different from each other could still be family and, and not in a way that dismisses the things that make them different. The fact that Jews and Gentiles could have meals together and were called to have meals together and actually the fact of a Jew and a Gentile having a meal together was was a demonstration to the world of the new community God was building. It just, it just blows my mind. And so it's not like Jews and Gentiles pretended, no, there's nothing different between us. We're all the same. It wasn't false unity. It was, whoa, you are super different from me and I'm even offended by your differences and yet... It is more important to me that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I will actually be martyred shoulder to shoulder with you. That is incredible, and I think if we could live out that community, we would actually change the world. Jesus prays at the end of John's gospel in John, I think it's John 16 or John 17, where he says uh, he's praying for those who will believe his disciples' message. That's us. He says, I pray that they may be one as you and I are in one, are, are, are one, Father, so that the world will know that you sent me. And so I think our unity convinces the world that Jesus, that Jesus was who he said he was, that God actually sent himself into the world to show us a new humanity. So I'm definitely praying for that kind of a unity where we don't disregard our differences, but we actually recognize them and celebrate them and discuss them and are over and under that, even more importantly, we're family. And I think that's really hard, but I think it's what the Holy Spirit of Jesus can do in our community. Thanks for sharing, everybody. Um, Rachel, we've, we've talked about, you know, things we're praying for. Would you actually pray us out of this podcast? Would you close us by, by praying? I'd really appreciate that. Sure. Thanks so much. Definitely. Well, Lord Jesus, first, I thank you that you hear all of our prayers, all the prayers that have been lifted up for 
hope and endurance, for unity, for an ability to hear each other despite our differences. Um, And I just lift all those before you again, knowing that, Lord, you are the one who is our Prince of Peace, um, that you love us. And I know that you desire to lead us into all those good things and those good blessings. And I add to them, Lord, that um, would we as Christians seek to honor you, Jesus, above anything else? And I pray that we would not conflate loyalty to you with loyalty to a party or a president or even an opinion. Um, I pray that we would return to our first love and that you would be our highest allegiance Um, And that through that, you would just powerfully enable us to love each other in the midst of our differences so that the nation and the world that we live in, Lord, would be blessed through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen to that, Rachel. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, everybody. Appreciate you being on this week. We'll see you guys around. You've been listening to the Jesus and Politics podcast. Remember to join us every Thursday at 4.30 on Zoom for a Q&A. You'll be able to find the link to that on our social media or at our website, ccfministry.com.